Hi, this is Ruth Friedman, and I serve as the Maharat at Ohev Shalom, the National Synagogue in Washington, D.C. And welcome back to my weekly Parsha podcast, Life Imitates Torah. And this week, we read Parsha Yitro. The first half of it is the story of when Moshe's father-in-law Yitro arrives, and that whole story of what everything that happens with him. And the second half is God's revelation of Harsinai and the giving of the Ten Commandments. Now, tucked away at the very end of this Parsha is just a few verses when God speaks to Moshe and says, say to the people, and then lists some laws about the altar and the way that altars and, and worship of God should be conducted. Now, it's just a few verses, and it doesn't have any ostensible connection to the rest of the Parsha, nor to the coming Parsha of Nishpatim, which we read next week. And so I don't know how much attention it always gets. Um, it may just we f- focus on the other stuff in the Parsha that seems more significant um, and not so much on this. But what I wanted to do today is to think about what role do these few verses play in the rest of the Parsha itself? Because I actually think there's something very interesting happening here. So in order to, to appreciate what's happening in those very last few verses, I want to consider where the people are at, not physically, but mentally, emotionally until this point. Now, they've had quite a few days. They've been told you have to prepare for three days for this big moment. And they do, they get ready. And then you can't touch the mountain because if you do, you will die. And then there's lots of fanfare before the actual revelation, thunder and lightning and and all of these things. Certainly sensory overload at the very least. And we know that they're a bit overwhelmed because the Torah tells us in chapter 19, verse 18, that the people, as one, they tremble, um, whether that's a trembling of fear or excitement, as one, as Achiskuni says, but certainly they're overwhelmed. This is a lot to take in. And then we have the textual of the Ten Commandments. And afterwards, the, after the Ten Commandments have been given, right? God's already, you know, there's been the revelation. The Torah says, So all the people witnessed the thunder and lightning, the blare of the shofar and the mountain smoking. And what's their reaction? And when the people saw it, they fell back and they stood at a distance. So it seems like this is the moment where the people officially become overwhelmed, but not a good overwhelmed, a bad overwhelmed, where they say, this is too much and this is too, this is like too scary. And they jump backwards and stand at a distance. And not only that, in the next passage, they say to Moshe, Daber ata imanu you speak to us, they say to Moshe, and we will obey, we'll do whatever you say, but let not God speak to us lest we die. So the people, they've been with Moshe until this point, but now it's too much. They've realized that whatever has happened is more than they can handle more than they feel that they can actually manage. This is too scary. And so they literally jump backwards and say, no, we're done. This is not going to work. And then Moshe has sort of an interesting response. He says, don't be afraid. 
because God has come to test you. Now that's how the JPS translates it. The the Mefarshim disagree over exactly what this means. I um I my favorite explanation that I saw was the Sfornos, who said it's not like testing. It's more that God is just trying to get you used to the experience of having God speak to you. Like, don't worry. Yeah, it's really a f- scary at first, but there's something you'll get used to. You'll adjust. This is part of the adjustment process. And then Moshe continues, it's not just to test you or however we want to translate that word. So this is in order that the fear of God will be forever with you so that you don't go astray. Now, it shouldn't surprise us too much that this Moshe's attempt to comfort the people does not really work because the next pasuk tells us, right? The people continue to stay at a distance. So what Moshe has said, don't be afraid. God's just trying to get you used to this so that you always fear God and that you never sin. They don't find that comforting. That doesn't actually change anything. They stay far away. Nope, not swayed at all. So Moshe, what's Moshe going to do? Moshe approaches the thick cloud where God was. And that is when God speaks and we have this little ending of our Parsha. And God says to Moshe, here's what you're going to say to the Israelites. You yourself saw that I spoke to you from the very heavens. But now God's not saying, well, you know, I'm just doing this so that you continue to fear me and fear sinning. No. Then God says, therefore, don't make any gods of silver nor any gods of gold. You should make me an altar of earth and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your and your sacrifices of well-being, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I cause my name to be mentioned, I will come to you and bless you. Right? So I don't want gold. Don't make gold, not silver. You can make an altar of earth and that's it. And then I'll come and I will bless you there. And also, then God continues, and if you're going to make for me an altar of stones, don't build it with hewn stones, meaning stones that a person has shapen and hewed into into a particular shape. Why? Because when you wield your tool upon them, you have profaned them, right? Once a person shapes the stone, then it's considered profaned. And then the last pasuk, also, don't go up my altar by steps so that your nakedness may not be exposed upon it, right? Don't go up steps because then you'll be exposed. Now, there's a lot of issue here of what exactly this is talking about. There are steps in the Beit HaMikdash, but the Kohanim wear pants, so in theory, nothing should be exposed. So we won't focus as much on this one particular. But let's take a step back for a minute. Remember, Moshe's attempted to comfort the people. Totally didn't work. They stood far away. And now God says, here's what you're going to say to the people. I am God. You know, I, I, you just saw me speak from the heavens and therefore here are rules about an altar. How is that comforting? How is that in any way a response to what the people are expressing concern about? How is that a response to their fears? How is that supposed to make them more comfortable with the situation? Now, what's interesting is also that we don't see the people respond at all. Then we just segue immediately into the next Parsha with literally called Mishpatim, when a lot more of the laws are handed over. Now, so we have to look at this in a little bit of detail. And what I wanted to focus specifically is on the two psukim about making an altar. 
So remember, God says, make me an altar of Adama, of earth. And if you're going to make me an altar of stone, then make sure that the stones aren't hewn. Now, also, we should just add that this is before the Beit HaMikdash is constructed when people could have altars in other places. So it seems um, there's also lots of debate about that, but I think that that's what this is referring to here. When you want to worship me, says God, here's how you do it. Now, what does this all mean? So I actually, there's a wonderful article on the Torah.com um, by Dr. David Falk, and it's called, What Kind of Construction Did the Israelites Do in Egypt? And he, he gives an overview of the kind of construction that the Egyptians used to build different things. And so we know from the Torah that the Israelites, the construction they did was bricks, right? And one with the straw and all of that. So they made mud bricks. Now, mud bricks weren't used to build temples or, or palaces or fancy places. They were used to build um, storage facilities, which is exactly you know what Pitom and Ramses are. They, are. they were major storage, I guess, just little storage boxes, um, or I should say big storage boxes, but not fancy ones that were constructed so that they could store the excess food and grain um, for times of famine. Now, that is different, as we said, from the worship, the, the palaces, the pyramids, all of those things. Those were built long before the Israelites showed up, and those were built with stone, but not just stone. They were built with uh, fancy stones, let's say, and there were Egyptians who were specialists in stone brick construction. So what does that mean here? Let's think for a minute. The Israelites have been slaves for hundreds of years. We know that they carry enormous trauma with them of having been slaves. We can see that at their reaction when they see the Egyptians running after them when they're at the Yamsuf, when they're at the sea, right? They're completely terrified and they're, they're convinced that they're gonna die. Of course, they're convinced they're going to die. These people, the Egyptians, have have ruled over them. Uh, you know, it's, it's torture, physical and mental torture, for hundreds of years, and they witness. They get to witness all of the Egyptians, the army, Paro, everyone drown at the sea, as we talked about last week. Imagine how much of the trauma that alleviated. But now, they get. They're at Matantora. They're at Harsinai. They're exposed to this really sensory overwhelming, this really, frankly, terrifying moment when God reveals God's self to them and says, you know, here I am, your God, here's all these rules that you have to follow. Now, it's an amazing moment and one that I think that Jews over history have been envious of, both because we'd like to believe that all the souls were there at Harsinai, um, and also there's a strain of thought that the at Harsinai, the Israelites temporarily became immortal, right? It was such a holy moment we became immortal and we only regained our mortality with the sin of the golden calf. This is something we look to and we think of as like probably one of the most, if not the most holy times as a people. But think about from the perspective of the Israelites, it's really, really scary. And we see that fear here quite literally in the Torah. The Torah isn't afraid to tell us that the Israelites were scared. They were scared of getting close, they were scared of ever having a revelation from God again. They're terrified. And we can appreciate why authority figures have not done well for them as, as far as they can remember. This is not what they left Egypt for. It's very overwhelming and it's too much for them. Moshe tries to say, 
don't worry, but couches it in the same frame of God's an authority figure because God, Moshe says, don't worry, God's just doing this so that you'll fear God and you won't sin. Well, they know that. They know exactly what it means to fear someone who's in charge of you, to be afraid of doing anything wrong. They know that all too well. So what Moshe says to them is no comfort whatsoever. But here, somehow in these rules about the altar, God is able to find a way to comfort them. And that's where I think that this information about the altar is fascinating because what God is saying is, you Israelites, you labored so hard to the point where you lost your ability to speak. You just could groan under the heavy work of making mud bricks. And you looked all around you and how did your oppressors worship their gods? Through these hewn stone palaces and pyramids and all these amazing things. And so God here isn't just offering sort of ostensibly random instructions for altars, but God is saying, don't worry. I'm the kind of God you can worship with an altar just made out of the ground, made of Adama. That's all you have to do to worship me. And if you even want to make an altar out of stones, you absolutely may not use stones that someone has hewn into perfect shape. In other words, you will not worship me the way that the Egyptians worship their gods and worship their leaders. I, says God, I am much, much different. The way that you worship me will not cause you to revisit the trauma that the Egyptians inflicted on you for so many generations and for hundreds of years. This is not you revisiting your trauma. This is something different entirely. And we will be able to work together and forge that kind of future together. Now, like I said, we don't know, there's no explicit reaction from the Israelites here. But I think that because the Torah immediately segues into Mishpatim, like we said, we'll see next week, there, there is some indication that what God says does have some level of comfort to them, is able to calm them enough so that they can hear the next set of laws. And I think that that's significant, especially because we see so many times in the book of Bamidbar, et cetera, where it seems like God and the people are kind of at odds with each other, don't really understand each other, and God wants to give them rules and doesn't understand why they keep breaking the rules. And yet here, this is a beautiful, beautiful little scene where God is able to understand the exact anxieties that are causing the Israelites to be so, so afraid and to speak to them in a way where God recognizes them and is able to comfort them. Shabbat Shalom.